Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, Tuckians? What the fuck, Garikans? What the fucksicans? How's it going? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome. If you have not been here before, on the show today, Seth Myers, one of the uh, the missing uh, links of the SNL. Well, obviously, there's dozens of people that have been uh, been on SNL, but I've done Seth's show. He's a nice fella. We talked about some stuff. We talked about uh, riding it out, locking in and uh, realizing your limitations, acknowledging your limitations, perhaps is a better way to put it. Uh, it was a good conversation. I think you'll enjoy it. There's there's no way to say he's not a decent fella, that, that Seth Myers with all those S's. So what else? I've, I've got big news. Big news that I'm afraid to utter aloud. That That is, I'm afraid to speak it because it's one of those things, many of you know, I did not think a lot of things were going to happen. And, uh, and a lot of things happened that I had let go of, which is about, honestly, about realizing your limitations or at least being realistic about where the fuck you are in your life for a second Long story short, 700 and some odd episodes, short, I I just didn't, uh, I didn't anticipate a lot of things, and, um, but I will say this, I, uh, Mark Marin, uh, will be playing, performing stand-up comedy at Carnegie Hall on November 4th for the New York Comedy Festival. The, the pre-sale uh, will run uh, from Wednesday, August 10th at 10 a.m. Eastern Time to Sunday, August 14th at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, tickets go on sale for the general public Monday, August 15th at 10 a.m. And, uh, and that's happening. That's I am playing Carnegie Hall. It's at, it is insane. I would never have thought. I, now I hope I can fill it. I feel like I can. I did all right at BAM last year, but... But and and on some level it is uh you know it is just a big venue but it's fucking Carnegie Hall and I'm feeling the pressure so if you were wondering why I've been so diligent about working on my stand up that's why that that is why because frankly I want to have my shit as together as possible for Carnegie Hall and the weird thing well, I don't even know how to process it 
I've really I'm just trying not to to focus on it. I believe uh, Nate Bargetzi will be opening for me. I've reached out to Nate, uh, who is one of my favorite comics at, at this juncture in the history of the medium, of the craft, of the form. And uh, he's into it, so I think that's going to happen. So it's going to be me and Nate at Carnegie Hall. I'm putting together the act for Carnegie Hall, and then I guess after that I can just stop, right? I can quit. I've done everything that I thought I would never do. Here's the fucked up thing about the life is that all those years of spite and envy and struggle and fuck that guy and why can't I have this and why why am I not on that and why am I... I would not have been able to do it. I would not have been able to function given the opportunities. It would not have gone well and it's sometimes it's weird. Sometimes people know better. You don't know. You know, if you're, if you're as stupidly proud and 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 uh, selfishly myopic as I am you think you're ready for everything I can do that I'm ready let's go it's the act of uh of desiring and and fighting and competing and struggling where give me mine where's my entitlement but uh usually a lot of times the people who are in charge of making decisions to to do things with you know better you might not be right. There was no way I could have handled it at any other point in my life. Not even last year. And I spent a long time uh, seeing my peers do that venue and uh, do other things. And I, you know, I've spoke about this fucking so much. And all that, that jealousy and all that aggravation and spite. It, what you should be doing is working on your shit. Whatever it is. Whatever it is you think you can do. All the energy you're putting into saying, fuck, man, where's mine? What, wh- why that guy? How come I didn't get you? And just try to put that energy into, into the other thing. I, I, but sadly, I, you know, I also did that on stage. That was, my, uh, that was my voice for years. But it is not now. And I'm going to say it out loud again with my name involved. Uh, Mark Marin, me, will be playing... Carnegie Hall for the New York Comedy Festival on November 4th. Holy shit. Another thing that's happening today is is August 8th, correct? Tomorrow, August 9th, I will be if if something doesn't fucking go horribly wrong today, if somebody does not hold me down and dump alcohol into my mouth, or lock me in a room and gas it with weed smoke, or turn me upside down and suspend me and dump cocaine into my nose. Tomorrow, August 9th, I will be 17 years sober. My name's Mark. I'm an alcoholic and drug addict. 17 fucking years sober tomorrow. I, I don't know how this shit happened. I don't know. I, I do know that my memory is diminishing. <laughs> that that everything's becoming a, a large smear of faces and cars and, you know, women and geographical locations. Can't place things. Things pop up here and there. But, yeah, 17 years sober tomorrow, August 9th. Carnegie Hall. Me. November 4th. I couldn't have done one without the other. That's for goddamn sure. 
And I and I also look. I get a lot of email from you people, and I appreciate it. I know that uh, that that this show has been helpful to a lot of people struggling with that shit, and it's hard at first, and it gets easier. Life doesn't change, but not doing drugs and drinking does get easier if you get off the shit. So that's the good news. Can you fucking believe it? I can't fucking believe it. See, I don't even like saying this because then you're sort of like, the other shoe's going to drop. Yeah, How do I get rid of that part? Be like, everything's going great, but what if, oh shit. How do I get rid of my internal buzzkill device? Had a spontaneous uh, bit of closure last night at the comedy store, the greatest comedy club on earth. Uh, Adam Egit, the dude who books it, is bringing in people, bringing in uh, the new guard, bringing in uh, popular comedians to the haunted old fucking castle of comedy. So I look at the schedule for the comedy store and Kumail Nanjiani's on the schedule and he don't work there. And I don't, I guess, I guess you guys didn't know, but I mean, maybe if you were sensitive to the situation and watched my television show, Marin on IFC, uh, Mad Mark season three, episode six. Well, it was basically a fictionalized meltdown show and I lose it on the guy playing Kumail. And that really happened. And that was years ago already. And it, it was never resolved. Basically what happened is I was doing a show there at Nerd Melt and it was actually the last fucking show I ever did in that goddamn place. Whatever happened between me and Kumail stopped me entirely from doing alternative rooms. Entirely. I just do the comedy store when I'm in town. They give me a lot of work. I get my work done or I do the Steve Allen Theater on my own terms and you know work out shit. I don't go to the Laugh Factory. Fuck the Laugh Factory. Fuck the improv. Fuck Nerd Melt. I go to the comedy store. But the alternative thing, this just detached me from all of it for some reason. I just turned my back on those venues and decided that uh, I'm going back to my roots. I'm going back to what I started to do. I'm going back to a real comedy club and that's how it goes. And now Kumail Nanjiani is on the schedule at the Real Comedy Club that is my home, the comedy store. And my first thought was like, what's he doing there? What, what's, you know, I mean, a lot of those guys are working there now. Mulaney's there and uh, Nick Kroll's been coming by. And I love those guys. These guys are all funny guys. But me and Kamel had a problem. And I was like, why is he in my house? I don't go to his house anymore. What the fuck is happening? So I had that, but it wasn't that, I didn't really obsess about it. Like I didn't, this wasn't an active bit of sort of like, I didn't feel that there was an injustice at hand. I mean, what happened was not unlike the episode of the show. I went on stage after he and Jonah Ray, you know, kind of did their rambling thing. But I got on stage when they brought me up and I took a shot at him. I busted some balls. I said, uh, you know, I made fun of him. And then I got off stage and he was sitting in there. He goes, you know, you can't, you can't make fun of me on my show. And I said, are you fucking serious? Are you really saying that to me? And this is how I remember it. And I'm like, you you really serious? He's like, yeah, it's my show. You can't make fun of me on it. And I was like, fuck you. You know, you fucking baby. I can't bust your balls on. You can't take it. Fuck you. And I called him a fucking baby. And I stormed out of the room, slamming the door like a fucking baby. And I said, fuck it. I'm not doing, you know, I'm not, you know, cross me off the list. This is a big, dramatic, prideful, baby bullshit. 
man. But anyways, it stuck. And I didn't go back there. And I didn't talk to him. We unfollowed each other on Twitter. And this was over a year. I mean, this has been years. So this sat there. And, I, and I, we wrote that episode of Marin about that. About, about that incident. Almost exactly. And I saw it as my way of apologizing to Kumail without apologizing. And I fucking asked him if he wanted to play himself in the episode. And he did not. Or he said he couldn't. Well, it doesn't matter. He didn't. So last night, I go to the comedy store. I even forget that he's on the show. And once I get there, I walk into the original room and I see him sitting there. He looks at me. He goes, hey. I look at him. I go, what's up? And he goes, um, is it done? I think is what he said. And I go, yeah, I, yeah. Then we walked out in the hallway. We hugged and, uh, you know, and, and it's over. But it wasn't even that loaded. I was happy to see him. I tweeted later. I said, me and Kumail uh, hugged it out, FYI. He said the walls are, yeah, something about the walls. Now we tore the wall down. And then I tweeted detente. And then we both followed each other again on Twitter. So there you have it. The saga of Mark Marin and Kumail Nanjiani now ends. The secret saga that some of you knew was real is over. And I feel okay about it. I don't know why I'm saying that. Like, you know, you should be proud of me. Fucking baby. You know what I mean? I'm better, though. I'm better. And I love that talk with Eric Andre. That was helpful, too. But there's a lot fewer of these. There's very few left. Oh, before I forget, uh, Eric Andre and I talked a a bit, but not really in any detail, but it was a little loaded about uh, the writer Jim Goad, and he emailed me uh, feeling a bit misrepresented. So... If you are interested in following up on that, uh, you can go to jimgo.net. There's very little that goes on in his life or in his mind that goes undocumented. It is challenging. It is a dark rabbit hole, uh, not for the faint of mind or heart, but I wanted to uh, to make sure that um, he is represented, and I guess he can do that best himself. So Seth Myers is here, and um, you can watch his show. It's Late Night with Seth Myers on at 12.30 every weeknight right after the Tonight Show. It's a very pleasant hang, and uh, it was nice to talk to him. Want, you want to listen to it? Because I'll let you listen to it right Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature. And now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Foxed Page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Foxed Page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Now. I don't know if I told you this, because I was an intern at Comedy Central summer of 95, and I did a lot of watching of short attention span theater. When I did it? Yeah. How did... Oh, my God. Where are you? But at Comedy Central, not at HBO Downtown, so you're up in the office. Yeah. 
Oh, that's hilarious. You I, watched me miraculously uh, string together a bunch of promotional clips into TV shows? Yeah, and that's the department I worked in was just cutting promos for shows. So we were, you were cutting old sketches into a show and then we were cutting that into, into promos. <laughs> I, I wasn't, I was just. And that was before Broadway video. That was before any. Yeah. How old were you when you did that? Well, that's right before my senior year of college. So I must've been 20 years old. So you were, that, you were gunning for show business all along. Well, I was a radio TV film major at Northwestern, so I was I uh, you know tried to get an internship and yeah. Comedy Central seemed like a fun place to work. You seem like a very well-adjusted person. It bothers me. Yeah, I'm <laughs> fairly well-adjusted. Like I don't know, <clears throat> I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> like I see, like when I, when I see when uh, when you're doing update or when I know when I knew about you when you were someone I knew, I was like, how's that uh, normal fucker? Get to be, uh, you know, the king of SNL. How does that happen? The normal I know, guy. It's not fair. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Trust me. I will say, I spent the whole time thinking the normal fucker wasn't gonna <laughs> oh, get really? it either. Okay. So, well, that makes yeah. you more like us. Okay. That, yeah. is it, that there were problems inside that don't come out in, in, in front. Well, I just felt normal at a place where I felt I was surrounded by exceptional. Right. If that makes sense. Oh, I get it. Yeah. I get it. So wait. So where did you? Uh, where was the upbringing? What happened? Where'd I, you grow up? I was uh, born yeah. near Chicago in Evanston, Illinois, but we grew up in New Hampshire. Really? Yeah. Same, pretty much the same town as Sarah Silverman and, and Adam Sandler. Sandler. Yeah. But but uh, you didn't know them. I didn't know them. I knew people who knew Sarah because she's only a couple years older than me. Right. But I do remember thinking it was statistically impossible that three people from my part of New Hampshire would be on SNL. I Once Sarah got on, I assumed, well, that uh, will never. Really? Yeah. Oh, you were working the numbers? You're like, I'm I just out. thought, no, that's okay. just a long no, shot. No, God will not allow that. The great- Why would they? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the great uh, uh, connection of coincidences. Serendipity is, it's over. It's played out yeah. in that part. New Hampshire doesn't get that many. Well, what part of New Hampshire is that? What I'm the, from a town called Bedford, and but I went to high school in Manchester, which is Sanders yeah, town. that's like the town. There's yeah. only a few in New Hampshire. They really it's pretty are. though, right? Yeah, it was great. It was a perfectly, you know, it's it's pastoral to some degree, but it's really uh, suburban more yeah. than anything else. Right. How many brothers and sisters do you have? I have one younger brother. That's it. Yeah. How old is that kid? Your brother? He's two years younger than me. Josh. He lives out here. He's an actor. Josh and, and a writer. Seth. How are you, Josh and Seth, but not a hundred percent Jews? How is it that weird? Well. My father's father's Jewish, and yeah. he married a Catholic lady. Mm -hmm. And then my mom, pure, uh, pure shiksa. Yeah, and but you get Seth and Josh. I well, mean, Jews are afraid to name their kids that Jew. I know. Well, that was the thing. My dad. Do you you know the book North Dallas Forty? Yeah, um, I know the movie. Yeah, so uh, I love that. Movie. One of the characters is Seth. Seth Maxwell. Yeah, and my dad was reading that book when my mom was pregnant with me, and he just liked the name Seth. I don't think he thought. How Jewy it would make. Was that Mac Davis's character or Nick Nolte's character? I think it's Nolte, but yeah. now I can't. No, maybe it's Mac Davis. Yeah? Yeah. And that's what that's where it comes that's from. That's where it comes from. It has nothing from. to do with the Bible or Jews. It's North no. Dallas 40. And it was funny, growing up in New Hampshire, it wasn't until I got to college where I realized how I was around more Jews in college than I was in high school. Yeah, it happens and in that's cities. when you realize, I that was the first time I realized, oh, the rest of my life, everyone's going to think. Think that, that you're Jewish? Jewish? Yeah. Yeah, and they're going to approach you like you're one of them until you it say I'm not It was lovely. Rude. Well, that's the lovely part is yeah. how happy people are to find out that you're Jewish. Like, that was great. Jews. Yeah, yeah Jews are yeah. always looking for more. Yeah. Jew? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah. Now we can talk to the shorthand. Yes. So when you were younger, though, did you do, um, 
Did you have, like, when did your interest in comedy start? Really early. My parents, my dad especially was a huge fan. You would go, well, you obviously you went to Fanny Hall. But a lot of, like, listening to Steve Martin albums and really? Richard Pryor albums. My dad had comedy albums. We would listen to those. Is your dad still around? Yeah. How old is he? Uh, I was born in 48. So he was like, he's actually like almost like a boomer, almost. Just yeah. the beginning of it, in a way. So he was part of all that. He was. They were in Chicago. They won't, both went to Northwestern, so they would go to Second City shows. They were really Green Street that. Tavern? Did yep. they do that stuff? Like, I think see, they did. Like, were they like Shelly like Berman or Mark Saul? I missed that. that. I think little, they were right. more, went to Second City. I think, like... They didn't quite dig for it as much as if there was an right. institution in right. place, they would go there. So they went and saw that the the original the old Second City people. Yeah, and then I even remember when we went out to Northwestern to take me out to look at it. That was where they took me. I to Second first, City. Yeah, so that was something I did when I was whatever, you know, eighteen years old. Who'd going. you see? Do you remember anybody? Anybody? I, yeah, there? Colbert, Carell. Really? You yeah. saw that bunch? I did. It was really it was really <laughs> crazy because then they kind of both disappeared for a while not right. really but yeah. until they were on the daily show and right. when well, they turned up it was oh hey those guys are really great well you knew then you knew colbert then if you were at comedy central at that time because he was on exit 57 yeah right? exit 57 though even working at comedy central that was a show that it was so it was so brief so wait what's your brother end up doing is he in show business yeah he was on mad tv for a couple of years he was on a year of that 70s show he's on a show on amazon right now called red oaks Josh Myers? Josh Myers. And he does some, he writes as well. How did that happen? Yeah, I mean, we were, we grew up really close. We did a lot of stuff together. We, did you do comedy team thing? We did sort of in high school. And then- The we, Myers brothers? With other people, sort oh. of more part of a troupe. And then we went to college together. And then we both ended up out in Amsterdam working for this theater called Boom Chicago. Out in, in, in Amsterdam, the country? Yeah, in, in Holland. Am- Holland? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. So okay, yeah. Let, let me let me understand. So what's your what's your dad do? My dad is in finance, but uh, he's also that's vague. He's, so he's a money guy. Funny guy. He's the funniest person in any room. The funny money guy. I, he's not really. <laughs> yeah, he's the funny money guy. It's on right after. He's on right after Jim Cramer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, but he's a really funny person. He's a fantastic storyteller. Yeah. Incredible. Like every sort of dinner party I'm ever at yeah. my whole youth like my dad was the funny one right just overwhelming everybody yeah no room to be funny well you it, you had to really wait your but, time when you had a shot you had to make sure you which, didn't waste which it which is where you you develop your skills as a talk show host you're yeah waiting <laughs> waiting <laughs> That's a lot of waiting involved. There is. There is sometimes, right? Yeah. I've learned to wait. No, I'm not very I'm not good at it. It's really important though. Oh no, to listen and wait and like you know, it's weird the first time you decide not to make a joke that you can that you can yeah. is a big moment for a funny person. Just 2 weeks ago there was a show where I walked off and I thought, "What was wrong with me today that really? I just kept jumping there's something I, there was something Who was the guest? I can't even remember, but it was all the guests. I just kept like jumping in to say something yeah. as if I don't get to do it every day. That's what makes waiting easy. Well, let's track that day. Maybe yeah. you were like, sort of like, is anyone watching the show? Am I not doing it right? Yeah, or like, ma- maybe I got to get in there more. Maybe the monologue was flat and I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get my laughs that I needed to move on. <laughs> so I was trying to steal them from other people. Yeah. But I, I uh, that there, it's a weird moment where you don't, where it's a very thrilling moment to decide not to make a joke. I, really I, I, I've never really talked about it with anybody because I don't, 
I don't know that like I noticed it as much because you only notice it if you're I mean I imagine you did from but on SNL it's different but in improv it's probably part of it there there's a there's a moment where you're like you got to let them have that yeah I'm, I'm not going to do better or mine's redundant yeah and there's no reason to do it or like you know like it's not necessary to win this one mm-hmm. and nothing you're right in that nothing is less satisfying than the lateral move right of I can also do what you just did. <laughs> hey, uh, hey, audience! Look, <laughs> there's no way not to look like an asshole. Yeah, like it's like yeah, it was unnecessary. We probably notice it more than anyone else mm-hmm. because I do think we live in a society where people do lateral moves all the time and yeah. social interactions. Yeah, they glom. But so it is hard. Yeah, and but it is lovely. I think that, and you probably discovered this even earlier than I did. But people, the problem with being interesting mm-hmm. is it the audience doesn't make a noise <laughs> right if they if every time you right they were engaged that yeah, way I, and they were going ooh, yeah then you would never make I've, I've used that to rationalize my entire lack of success throughout my career is that like <laughs> i may not be funny but i'm compelling you Compelling's- enjoy yeah you enjoy watching me no matter what it's a very good era for compelling yeah i think i it, really it truly is. believe finally this culture has come around yeah. to compelling yeah, because like I'm very hard on myself about my jokes and about whether or not they're finished and whether or not the tag is good enough or if there is a tag. And, and instead of really work them properly, I'll be like, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty yeah. compelling there. Yeah. Like, it's, not, it's okay not to have closure. I mean, you know, there's not closure in everything. Especially once the audience yeah. also understands that that's what you're doing. Right. Oh, I get it. He's not being funny. Right. Oh, this is tonight. <laughs> tonight's not going to be about closure. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or punchlines or, or necessarily humor. <laughs> But so, uh, well, I guess I was just trying to establish that, like when you you, you grew up like comfortably, you're not you, yeah. you you weren't in the poor part of New Hampshire. Yeah. So, because like when when I hear like two brothers going to Amsterdam to do a show, I'm like, yeah, a little freedom these guys. Oh, we really <laughs> did. I mean, our parents were so supportive. They came to everything we did. My mom was a theater major at Northwestern. She ended up being a school teacher, so she had she had a real performer spirit as well. What great uh, what what. She taught middle school French for, you know, I think. I like guess. at a public school? Yeah, about 30 years. So many teacher kids I talk to. Yeah. It's it's kind of nice. I, I would I would hope that a teacher would pre, you know be supportive at home and, yeah. and, and like, you know, encourage whatever the creativity the person wants to do, the kid. My mother is as supportive as you could ask. She's My brother and I have never done anything that's been anything less than an A-plus for her. Oh, really? Whereas my dad who's also incredibly supportive, he's the one that's judgmental and will give you notes and will tell you that wasn't your best. <laughs> you hearing from him a lot? Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm for the show. Less I'm now, <laughs> but I'm, early SNL, I, I heard from him a lot. Really? To a point that at one at one time I did have to say, hey, I also am aware it's not going great. <laughs> I'm there every day. <laughs> when you were on Update or before? No, before. Oh, so back when in you were just struggle, writing? Back in the struggle. Well, I started as a cast member at SNL, yeah, and then I didn't become a, a, a credited writer. I mean, everybody in the cast writes, but until about my fifth or sixth year. But I was just trying to write myself onto the show, and I just remember my dad walking down the street with him because he, he'll be in New York every now and then for business. So yeah. I get to see him, and yeah. he was saying, "You know what I've noticed is uh, recurring characters <laughs> yeah. tend to be very helpful." <laughs> and it was that thing of, "I just want you to know, Dad, that I have also come <laughs> to that conclusion, and I'm just not good at them." It wasn't that it it hadn't occurred to me. And no matter what level of success, through advice, they will diminish you. Yeah. Well, it, that the diminishing thing there is that 
it's one that I can't. I'm not. I don't have uh, recurring right. characters. The more insulting thing is that Hidden never occurred right. to me that as a thinking man. That's right. Yeah, no, th- that's it. That's exactly it. Because I still get that from my dad. You know, why don't you talk to uh, you know Bill Mars or, or you know, maybe talk to Charlie Rose about getting on a getting a show like his. Yeah, like there's a sort of they don't understand the business quite, right. and they don't realize they're being shitty. Yeah, yeah, and that the last person you go to to get a show like theirs is, is that person. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, Charlie, why don't you move over? <laughs> I think I think your time is up. You seem to be the person to talk to about being direct competition. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's. I, I have to. In my, as I get older, I just want to believe that it's all with the right spirit. Oh, a hundred percent. There's been no malice from my parents throughout any part of my life. Wow. Yeah. I, you sound like you're being uh, paid to say that. It's weird. I didn't. I didn't think of it until you just said. Now? Well, yeah. But I really, I mean, again, they are... I, I guess malice is, would be a hard word. Yeah, malice, of, yeah. For anybody. But slight passive-aggressive ego battles with parents are not... Uh, but I'm not I'm not suggesting that. Seth. No. I mean, I'm just saying that like I malice is a strong word. I think my dad, because of the fact that everyone thinks he's really funny, yeah. because he is, yeah. I think he takes great pride in the fact that... It's great. Yeah. Yeah, I think my dad's starting to, reluctantly starting to oh, take pride. It's nice. Yeah. So, all right, so you go, you do some things with your brother in yeah. high school. Yeah. Is there music involved? No, just... never. Okay, well, that's that's good. Um, and I then... just had no skill for it ever. No skill for music. Yeah. I love it, but I don't. Yeah. yeah. And and then, all right, so you graduate, and then you go look at Northwestern, you see Carell and Colbert. Are yeah. you thinking about SNL? No, no, no. I was, uh, I wanted to be a director. I wanted to- Film director. Yeah. And so I applied to schools that had good film programs, and I ended up at Northwestern for that. And yeah. pretty, I like our new student week at Northwestern. I saw the Northwestern Improv Troupe perform. What were they called? Meow. And mm-hmm. uh, were you happy with that name for the? I group? wasn't. No, yeah. it's a spoof. Yeah. When Gary Marshall was on, he mentioned Wamu, uh-huh. which was sort of the all school big, and so Meow was a spoof on that. Oh really? So it, at least it came from something, right? It's so a, that's right. You and Gary are, are uh, alumni. Yeah, Julia was in Meow. Julia Louis Dreyfus. Was she? Years oh, oh, that's right. Me, but... We talked about that. I don't know if she named it though. I don't I think she did. I think she was smarter than me. She didn't drop it. No, I I, I like Meow. So that so you're in North. You're at Northwestern, the Chicago school. So improv is a known thing. So, yeah. So I guess maybe this group, judging by the. Uh, alum, uh, you know, had a little little traction somehow, or that yeah. you at least knew you were in an improv town. Definitely saw these guys perform that new student week immediately. That was the I thought, oh, I think I can do that. Yeah, were they attached to the theater program, or they were? Or was it no, more? No, it was general... just a, it was an independent thing. You didn't have to be in theater to right, audition right. for it. Yeah. And every year, it had a student director who would pick eight students to be. In the group. Different student director. Different student director every year. Uh And I auditioned for it for three years without getting in. Really? So I only did it. Not till your senior year? Yeah. Holy shit, that's kind of rough. And I I never thought they were wrong. Like when I would go see the shows, it would always be four guys and four girls. I would look at the four guys who they had picked. Yeah, and you're like, I can't do it. No, they were all better than I was. Well, what were you doing? Well, they were, it was all, it was just a group of people a year older than me and they were you know improvising they were improvising they were writing fantastic sketches. improvisers it, their shows would be sketch and improv yeah like they're very much like based on the second city model i would right. say right um but did, then do people go to their shows were they yeah, popular they on were campus packed. oh really they were okay rock stars okay all and right i so, like that part yeah too. sure i was drawn to that yeah um 
But I started going into Chicago, going to Improv Olympic and taking improv classes yeah. at the same time that I was sort of- We're at? Uh, improv Olympic. So that's the other one. IO now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Sharna Halperin's place, uh-huh. Del Close's place. Yeah. Del Close was Improv Olympic? Yeah. I should know that. Yeah. that. He's the one who started that? That was his yeah, offshoot? Yeah, he and Sharna. Yeah. yeah. Del Close. Did you meet him? I didn't. Was he already I, dead? Uh, is I he dead? I think <laughs> he is. Yeah, he is. I just missed him. He mm-hmm. would have been what was level five at this school. Um, it's so amazing to me that like, you know, because I've talked to so many people that there's this the Chicago influence, man. Yeah. It was a big deal. It was a big deal. And it was a really exciting, you would be able to go down to take your classes and then it was pretty I think if you took class, uh, shows might have even been free. Yeah. But you would just hang out and see people that turned out to later be like right. Polar or Tina Fey. And you saw them where? At Improv Olympic, just doing shows. They were I.O. people? Yeah. They were I.O. people. I, I, I'm sure I know that. I'm just, like, I can't remember everything. I.O. was like a place people worked before they got... You didn't get paid at I.O. Oh, so you're heading towards Second City. Yeah, hopefully. it was like it was like the, the AAA for right. Second oh, right. City. I get it. Right. Farm team. Yeah. Yeah. So you were seeing them. You saw Tina and uh, yeah, and and Amy, Dratch. Yeah, I saw Dratch. I mean, I saw Dratch on Second City be funnier in a show than I've ever seen. Like pop out of a show more than anything. anybody. Yeah, crazy Horatio. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, I was just in awe of all of them. So your brother's with you? No, my I brother. Uh, How, what's the age difference? Two years. It's just like me and my brother. He's two and a half though. Two and a half. So I finished school and was doing I.O. I'd done the one year yeah. of Meow, and that had sort of put in my head that I wanted to keep doing this. My goal was Second City. That's really what I wanted to do more than that. That was a short-term goal, that you didn't see past that. I really didn't. And they would sort of audition, I would, maybe every year, every six months. Were you doing characters? No. I, as an improviser, I used to, I was doing a two-person show. Yeah. And with this girl named Jill Benjamin, my old comedy partner, and we used to say, that like just check me out during the course of the show this is when I was whatever 27 years old and I would say like over the course of the show you'll see me play characters anywhere between 26 and 28 years old <laughs> because at no point in my career have I had range yeah. that's and I think as an improviser all my characters were just like slight variations of on you of me yeah so what do you think your big comic strength is well I think I could write really fast as an improviser yeah. I think premise and structure and yeah. good jokes yeah. but I so I ended up out in Amsterdam. So these guys started this like- Okay, so you graduate college, you do I.O. for a while, you don't get into Second City. I don't, right. You tried. I tried, I auditioned. Yeah. And I think like I was probably uh, on a short list for maybe the next year. Uh-huh. But that was the thing about Chicago, like you really had to like stick around. Oh yeah, well so it was. it's not unlike stand-up where you had to pay your fucking dues, you had to show up at the things, other guys had to be like, he's a guy. Yeah. And then, you know, then you get your shot. Yeah. If you hang out long enough. <clears throat> and it's, though, I always remember the thing about auditioning yeah. for Second City is it would be a small group of people, not a group of people you picked. Yeah. It was not self-selecting. Right. And then you would maybe have one or two shots to do an improv scene, and you're with somebody else whose skills know. could be anywhere from a just zero bury to you. ten. Yeah. Yeah, you just like, you know, you're just the uh, default straight guy. Yeah. For- <laughs> or they're just dragging you down. Oh, really? Yeah, there's a couple ways it could go. Or a- What's that? How does that work? Well, you know, you go out and you just realize somebody is not that good at improvising. Oh, though, so that's the other side, the yeah. not good guy. Yeah. yeah the, the guy who's floundering. And then you just can't elevate your game past those limitations. <laughs> 
Yeah. And but then we, a friend of mine, this guy Pete Gross, we saw an audition notice for this place, Boom Chicago, which was some Chicago guys started an improv theater in Amsterdam, and uh, it was only in its third year now. It's still going, still going, still going. And we auditioned for it's that. The same guys, same guys. Yeah, they're there. Yeah, Chicago they just stayed guys. There? Yeah, one they met. They all married Dutch women, and they just really. Yeah, and they just Boom had, Chicago, Boom Chicago, and there've been. Uh, uh, Jordan Peele from Key and Peele went through there. Sudeikis was out there at the same time. Ike Barinholtz, who's a really funny guy, was out there. In Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. But most of these guys, I assume, were sort of like, this is my semester abroad. It was it was a year contract when you did it. Um, most people ended up staying for longer, for two, because we did shows in a 250-seat theater. They sold really well. You got to do about 200 shows a year as a performer. And living in Amsterdam was fantastic. I mean, it was the most fun of my life it yeah. was yeah i mean mostly because it was the age that you're just more likely to be how happier. old are you like 28 i think i was uh i think it was there from 25 to 27 two years 25 27 yeah. you're young mm-hmm. excited yep uh, uh smoking a lot of hash i mo- i realized i don't my. i don't love smoking weed there <laughs> but i love drinking sure you know heineken from the tap it wasn't like right there was plenty of it's pretty Debauchery. there. It's beautiful. And you went to the Van Gogh Museum. I don't know if I did. Didn't while make I lived it. There. So right. So I you... go back a lot, and I've gone since. You go back a lot? Well, I do. I have close friends there, and I love it. So the guys from Chicago who marry Dutch women. Yeah. So you and your wife go there. Yeah. And spend it. A... I went a lot more without my wife than with her. Yeah. I think. Uh, I we like, got to do your drinking somewhere, right? Got to do. It you somewhere. seem like a pretty clean cat, you know. Like <laughs> you got a good reputation here. So I got to so go. sneak off to Amsterdam. Got to go abroad. <laughs> there have been a few times where I was really messed up in Amsterdam, and someone came up to say, and you just realize, oh, you're not the only American there, right? And really messed up, and someone saying, oh, hey, I'm a huge fan. Can I? Yeah, or else like, hey, dude, you know, you you're making us look bad. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's I never made us look as bad as some of the Americans there. That's the but that's fascinating to me. So you know these guys that have now been there for over a decade, more than that. Now they started it in, uh, yeah, ninety seven, something like that, like twenty years. Yeah. Isn't that crazy. So they're like forty five year old dudes. Yeah. And they they just built a life for them in Amsterdam. Yeah, and they have kids with Dutch people. They have Dutch kids, Dutch yeah. kids, and they speak two languages. Maybe they do. And they and they just keep hiring young people from the states. Yep, and, and it's a grind. Like running a theater is a grind, and they but they're just they still love it so much. But it's a big business, so they all do all right. They live in nice houses in Amsterdam. They do pretty good, and they huh. a big part of it is they uh, they do a lot of corporate stuff because there aren't a lot of like- All around Europe? Mostly, you know, I actually they do do all around Europe because yeah. there's not that thing right. of like that kind of comedy where, hey, we'll come and like you help message and be funny and that American Improvisers way. can do that easily. They really can. Yeah, like at a, at a convention or- or at a, a corporate uh, retreat. <laughs> yeah, a lot of retreats. Yeah, and, and, of... And, and I guess with improvisers, it's easier than comics who begrudgingly begrudgingly get that list of, that's the boss and this is what we oh, like yeah. to do here. But with improvisers, they're like, great, yeah, we just, need this we shit. We were going to ask for suggestions anyway. <laughs> exactly. If you want to give them to us ahead of time. <laughs> it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. I just like the idea of people like just sort of finding themselves like in another country and deciding to like, well, this is it. I'm yeah. going to live here. It seems exotic to me. It was interesting. I there are a couple. I look. I think I could have ended up in Chicago forever. I really loved it. Mm-hmm. I think I could have. I was close to 
saying, oh, I could just do this. I really love dancing. Work with these guys, yeah. And there was this girl, Jill Benjamin, who was, uh, like I mentioned her before, but we were out there at the same time and we were doing a lot of stuff at the theater and she was the one who said, I think we have to leave because I think we're going to hit the ceiling of what we can accomplish here because there weren't other jobs. Right, no, you would be doing that. Yeah. And there's a certain type of person that's sort of like, I'm okay just turning this shit out every week. Yeah. You know, like it's not, I, I don't, I, I guess the challenges are different. There's a difference between a creative person that's searching to do something more with their creativity all the time and somebody who is like, uh, we can do this every week. I feel like I'm a, I'm really a little bit of both. Yeah, no. Because I was really. You're doing a thing every night. Yeah. I mean, I ended up at one of them. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was at SNL never thinking, I got to get out of here. I was. Right. This is great. I like this. <laughs> Funny people are here. So I was very lucky to have someone as a uh, with the ambition of my partner at the time. But also you were able to find out new things about what you were capable of within the structure of SNL. Like it, it seems like if you were just a cast member, like, oh, you, yeah, you know, like you had some power, you had production yeah. power and, and, you know, you had to manage people yep. after a certain point. So you rose through the ranks a bit. And I think for being a writer, like doing writing more than performing at the show, like that kind of never gets old because you're going to go write right. anywhere, right. somewhere else. And right. SNL basically is like having whatever writing job you want each week to be. Mm-hmm. I think for cast members, I get how somebody like, you know, Kristen Wiig or Bill Hader after seven years can say, oh, I'm just out. Right. I, and I and also, they've, you know, they've built up enough cultural capital to do bigger things in a way yeah of course if i don't know if i've ever used that phrase cultural capital very nice it's pretty good right and i think cultural (laughs) capital is what snl turns out probably more than any other absolutely so all right so so you're in amsterdam you're drinking heineken's out of the tap you're you're doing uh improvs you probably have moments where you're like i did this riff the other day like (laughs) (laughs) i'm doing this improv again (laughs) yeah similar because it was there was the the most rewarding part of that show was it was like second so there was sketch writing mm-hmm. we did a lot of that but it was the improv was a lot of it was short form right. uh, improvising right. which is has a tendency when you do a lot of reps to feel redundant right you know. but you're learning how to write basically yeah throughout all this and you know learning how to sort of strip away sort of pop culture references that would mm. work in the states that don't work in front of a dutch audience right and that was kind of nice too i think yeah but like the the education of comedy writing came from not like class or school but no. actually just reps reps and listening to jokes and yeah you know like learning joke structure yep sketch structure that was very helpful for that but that real education for me just took place at snl i mean i think i was okay yeah. But you just, that thing of sitting down every week and hearing 40 sketches be read. Yeah, it's baffling to me that, like, how some sketches work. Like, you, you know, the, because I'm, I'm not, like, I don't know if I, I have ever thought about it as much as I've thought about it after talking to people doing it. But they don't, they have their own life, you know, that, like, either they're character driven or maybe mm-hmm. they're comedy driven. But if you think in terms of comedy logic, like on the page, a lot of sketches that are character driven don't even add up. No. <laughs> Well, that was when you used to read things before the table read. Right. You know, before you understood what a Maya Rudolph could do. Right, right. You would say, well, best of luck with this. Yeah. I don't, I don't then, like your chances based on the first read. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, it they would just, do just it. destroy. Yeah. So how did, how did, so you come back from Amsterdam, then what happens? Is that when you become a, no, you did the internship in Yeah, in that college. was in college. Yeah. So I come back two years, uh, yeah, I come back 
after two years and start doing this show called Pickups and Hiccups with Joe Benjamin. And this was this- two- Where's she now? She's out here. Uh, she's married to John Henson. You know John Henson? I do know John yeah. Henson. So they're, they're married really? with a couple kids. Everyone, yeah, the yeah. kids. You yeah. just had one. Just had one, yeah. Yeah, but it seems like you waited long enough. I did, 42. Yeah. Yeah. You don't look 42. Thank you. How old's your wife? 32. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> No, that's reasonable. Yeah, it's I mean, I, reason. Like, it's I, like it's on the edge of reason. You know, I've gone unreasonable. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's oh a, yeah. It doesn't last long. It's not. It's not the greatest thing. If I was not with my beautiful wife, and yeah. thank God I am, yeah. I'm sure I'd be unreasonable. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So all right. So you do the pick and what? The, Pickups and hiccups. Yeah. With, yeah. with Jill. <laughs> yeah. Uh, off Broadway. Uh, it was in Chicago, and it oh, was like a little, Chicago. but it became like a little, a very small, but like local hit. Oh, really? We did it for a while, and we were doing what it. What was the angle? It was a, a sort of sketch improv show about uh, relationships. Oh, okay. Got it. And so then, it was specific, and couples could go on yep. Valentine's Day, and you do a special Valentine's Day show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. And then we uh, did it at this Chicago Improv Festival, and I was really lucky. This woman who worked in the talent department at SNL was there. Who? Just randomly. Ayala Cohen was her name. Is her name still? And she saw the show and reached out for me to send in an audition tape. And that sort of started the process. And you had not even been thinking about that? or No. Fully focused on, on Second on City. On pickups and hiccups. Yeah, and, I didn't think. And getting into Second City still. Yeah, and then, I mean, City, I yeah. had hoped, I and I saw Second City as like, and then maybe after Second City, because that was the era that Tina had just left for SNL. Um, probably. So you still thought you had to go through Second City? I did, City, And yeah. you did not have a relationship with Tina Fey at the time? No, I didn't. Okay. Yeah. So it's just you and Jill, pickups and hiccups. Yep. Chicago Improv Fest. Yep. You get a call. Someone approaches you. I get a call. Ayala, what's her name? Ayala? Ayala Cohen. Ayala Cohen. Yeah. I know. I've met her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And she's like, we need a tape. We need a tape. And it's so funny to think back to, which it feels, it's not that, it's not ancient history, but I had to find a friend who had a digital camera. Oh, yeah. And then it was a little tape, right. and then I had to find a place that would Who's transfer living it. Room? Whose living room are you going to shoot it in, or just oh, shoot it in the theater? Shot it in front of, like, a chest of drawers. Yes. <laughs> just this flat, like, like the yeah. lighting is so, again, I think the lighting was just two desk lamps. One is the yeah. key, and one is the fill, but they're just, you know, just blasting heat on my face. I, I'll never forget this time where we used to work for this company that used to book stand-up, and they'd get all these audition tapes, and we got hold of one, and it was a guy, like, in a basement doing jokes, and he had must have had a friend dropping a phonograph needle on a laugh track record. <laughs> so the guy would do the joke, and he would just drop in, like, yeah! And he pulled the needle, but you heard the needle dropping. <laughs> it was one of the best things I ever saw in my life. Oh, so so you do brutal. this horrible tape. I do that horrible tape. What I think do you do that's the end it? of it. Uh, they had said, "Here's." I will sometimes say, "I love when people give me specific rules." Yeah, that makes that. I structure to me is, "Oh, thank God." Yeah, because Ayala sort of thrown away said, "You know, I, it's about five minutes." Uh, if you want to do impressions and characters, like three impressions, three characters, and I just heard that and said, yes, five minutes, Good. three, three. Oh, and, uh, and you're not a character guy. So you no. did uh, three 29-year-old? No, I went to work. <laughs> oh, you I went did. to work. And I, I used it, I mean, I think that the one thing about SNL auditions is that you can show off writing. Like, you can write yeah. jokes within your stuff. Right. So I think I did Russell Crowe and Hugh Grant. Again, we're, th- we're talking about 2000 here, so they, yeah. were very, they were very of the moment. Um, you Grant, you did a few times, didn't you? I did them like once. Oh, just once? Yeah, I did them once. Yeah. And then I did, you know, I, I wrote like a Boston guy. Oh, yeah? Um, and How are you? Yeah. It was a guy who was upset 
I'm about. Upset. Yeah, there you go. You got it. You, this is all of it. You've seen it. I got around. <laughs> what yeah, about I made, this guy? I here? made a very unique choice to do an upset Boston guy. <laughs> but uh, and then I thought that was the end of it. And then six months later, they reached out again for another tape. And and it was Wait, funny. Hugh I, Grant, Russell Crowe, upset Boston guy. Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, I this actually was a sketch once. It yeah. was a uh a fallen from grace Italian fashion photographer who now worked at Sears. Good. Yeah. Yeah. And then I did that with Hugh Jackman. We were we did it together. And, and you did the Italian accent. Yeah, it was fine. Okay. Well, not great, but <laughs> fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, so that it was a second tape. Send that in, and then about after a full year, probably about after they first reached out, I got called in to audition. So you kind of like it's. I've heard that before. Where you just sort of let it go. And I, oh, like, I completely I guess, let it go. Yeah, and you go back to pickups and hiccups. Yeah. Guys are kicking ass. I moved out here actually. I came out to LA and went with through, Jill, uh, with Jill and with Josh, my brother, and we went. We had a place on like Vermont. Wait, like, Josh was in Amsterdam with you, right? Yep. And then he flew back from Amsterdam for a pilot season. He ended up going back for a year after, okay. and before he fully moved out. But we we lived in like a, a furnished apartment and uh, went, went through one pilot season, and it was during that that I got the call to. So I lived out here for all of six months before. Did I, you get a pilot? No, I did one episode of Spin City with Charlie Sheen, though. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And oh, then yeah. when the whole Charlie Sheen thing happened, I had forgotten that was my first time on TV. It was like two months into the Charlie Sheen meltdown that all of a sudden I had the memory of, oh, that was... Yeah, I know that guy. Yeah, I did a scene with him. He was very nice. <laughs> you could not what have happened a nicer. to that kid? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So, you go back. So, then what, what's next? So, you get the second call for and another out, tape or you got to uh, go to the studio two now? Two tapes. Now I go to the studio. I fly out and I had a friend of a friend, knew Rachel Dratch. Um, I asked if I could call her. I called her. She was absolutely lovely. This before I'd ever met her. Yeah. And she- uh, and She was on the show at that time? She was on the show. She gave me advice about auditioning, which is the advice I still give people all the time, which is the best thing you can tell them is nobody laughs, because then if you even just get one laugh, you think you broke. Right. You, know, you, you can you delude yourself. Yeah. That, yeah. Uh, and I did my audition, and I- thought it went really well yeah and i don't usually think that you didn't get laughs you did i did i did i got enough laughs on i think i got my laughs more on the jokes than on the performance Mm -hmm. but enough laughs that i thought oh that went well yeah and uh flew back to la then got a call that lauren wanted to meet me flew all the way back to new york and had my uh, my you know your one-on-one my one-on-one with lauren how long did you wait uh, I waited probably an hour plus. Yeah. Uh, Shoemaker and Higgins came out and sure. said hi. Yeah. Sat down. Lauren, uh, I didn't realize he, I'd been hired. Yeah. That's how pessimistic or I am. Or you thought this was just part of the uh, the process. It, well, it is part of the audition process usually, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but even in the, he didn't say you're hired over the, that meeting. You mm-hmm. know, he said like, do you think you could work in New York? And, and then he said, you know, I think we'll bring you in and see how you look in wigs. <laughs> And so I left thinking, well, now all I have to do is the the wig, <laughs> the stage. wig challenge, <laughs> and uh, and then I flew all the way back to L.A. before I got a call that you know I was officially going to start. See how you look in wigs. And by the way, funny. he should have because I look terrible in wigs. Yeah. Whereas like Bill Hader, transformative. Put a wig on him, different guy. Yeah, I think I've heard someone else say that. Yeah. That they said I think it might have been Hader. Like you know we have like it was a question that he would ask. Yeah. Yeah. And just whereas. I just look like a guy in a wig. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Always. Well, Hater's like one of those guys, it seems like if he held something in his hand that was had enough juice, he could transform yeah. into it. It's really, 
I mean, that was when those guys started showing up. Yeah, Hater, Sandberg, Sudeikis. Before them, Fred and Will. Yeah, that was when I had my real crisis of confidence. Of oh, I'm not as good as they are. Uh huh. And I'm, I like them that personally, but I'm deeply jealous of how good they are. Yeah, yeah. and there's nothing. Why well, it's it, that weird humility of of uh, moving through jealousy to realizing your limitations. Yeah, it's brutal. Oof. Yeah. Like because like you you sit there like you like the, that moment where you realize like there's nothing I could do. That was <laughs> I mean I remember my the year four or five was really rough for me on that. Well, show. who was there when you got there? When I get there last year of Will, yeah, uh, Catan, yeah, uh, Valentina, two thousand and one, two thousand one, yeah, Tracy Morgan. Mm-hmm. Uh, I start with Polar, which is a lifesaver because uh, we got to be really good friends, and she was sort of she instantly worked on the show, yeah. Um, as would make sense to anybody who knows her talents. Where and it was good to be friends with somebody who was working. Did you write for her? I did. Yeah, and I like I wrote with her a lot. Yeah, we had a lot of fun writing together. So you were one of those guys where you you get brought on as a writer cast member, just a cast member. Like we, I mean, every cast member writes, but I wasn't credited as a writer. So you start doing that on your own initiative with her. You like you at some point you realize like I'm not getting on. I'm going to work with Amy. Well, it was more like I would write things that were group scenes. Yeah, that I would have a line, a good line or two in. Like yeah. that's I was that's how I was trying to stay alive. Whereas if I wrote a Seth scene, yeah, they were unsustainable. Never, oh, so, yeah. but that was just uh, instinctual. It wasn't like calculated. I think like, it was more instinctual than right. Calculated. Like I got to yeah. get on. They're not going to give me the whole scene. Yeah, so maybe I could just be this guy. It wasn't. For lack of trying. Right. I mean, I did try to be the guy in the scene. There's a weird thing where when you get hired for SNL, you have this initial like burst of confidence because you think they are, they can't be wrong. Right. If they said you should be here, <laughs> you're about to be Will Ferrell. Right. right. They, they must know something you They'll make you, you don't. into that. Yeah. yeah. And then over the course of that first year, you realize, oh no, like this is... Yeah. They can make they can be wrong. Yeah, and they can grind you down to nothing. Yeah, and make you go running away, feeling like uh, an empty vessel. Yes, all of those things could have happened. So, all right. So, two thousand one, two thousand two. You write with Amy. You get mm-hmm. on a little bit, a little bit, and then uh, and then Will leaves. Will leaves in two thousand and when? Yeah, that that was so. Yeah, two thousand two season. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's not. Uh, oh, so then that's uh, Forte and Fred. No, yeah, Forte and Fred start the next year. Uh-huh. And they're kind of immediately like these really unique yeah. voices. Yeah, and that you just kind of watch other people at the table like light up when they do their sketches because yeah. they're like, I've never seen anything like this. <laughs> and I'm and I'm looking at these faces saying, I didn't. I've never seen these expressions. Where were these expressions for my first year? <laughs> and so you're, you're quietly smiling and, and steaming inside just yeah fuming fuming and also you know that thing of knowing being so aware of your own jealousy yeah you but know? you didn't how did you not uh, like see the difference between i guess you and me is that i wouldn't have been able to hide it nor keep it to myself i, I would have i would have started a, a gossip campaign just out of my own fucking <laughs> anger and fear and just be like nah fuck fred i uh was there any of those guys around the uh yeah fuck armison we were there at a pretty good era i don't think there were a lot of fuck fuck people fred, yeah, fuck oh, cast really? member like right. fuck this guy yeah, fuck yeah. that guy you know uh mike shoemaker who now i work with at late night he was a producer at snl was he was a was he a head writer or he was no uh, he was just on the uh producer side mm-hmm. but uh, when i was there was tina was the head writer from 2001 pretty much yeah her and that's and, when you really met her yeah uh her and dennis mcnicholas was a head writer uh 
so, but Shoemaker was one of these guys. He was like a real good friend to me right away. And he was the guy that kept me from making any of the mistakes that would have ruined my time there. I, he was the one, I, it's really, I'm really lucky to have him. And, and everyone. Like he'd, he'd pull you out of the crew when you were about to cry and stuff? Or just say like, hey, you know, like this, don't, you can't be jealous. You, right. Like these, you're going to work with these people for a really long time. Yeah. You can't, you have to figure out a way to make it work. Oh, wow. Yeah. And you listened to him? I did. I'm a very good listener when I get good advice. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. That's good. Because I'm looking for it. So your want... jealousy did not contaminate your perception in a way because you like like I don't know like well obviously I'm I'm like uh, I have problems but like I would have been like what the fuck do you know but you were like no I want to stay here no because yeah I did want to stay and also I kind of you know the the saddest I ever was at my time at SNL was when I came to this realization of if they fired me. I couldn't say they were wrong about it. It's, this was 2004. So you've been, you've been like yeah. kind of you know, biting your lip for a long time and yeah. trying to figure out how to, to work it. And yeah. you're just, what, you're getting in a little bit? Uh, you know, A writing. little bit. I was getting sketches on. You know, I was writing. And this ended up- Were you up, credited as a writer at that point? No. So what happened was when Tina left, they Lauren asked if I uh, wanted to be head writer. Uh, just out of nowhere. Pretty much out of nowhere. 2004? 2005, I want to uh, so say. So after the crisis. Like, it was say, kind of saved me from the crisis. Right. Because I thought, oh, well then, this will be the thing I am. So you you ex- you showed that you had, you, you know, uh, an even keel and could manage content. Yeah, and that I would, uh, I could write for a lot of different voices. Right. I wasn't, I couldn't, some people are very good at writing things for themselves. Yeah. And not others, but I think like I had a good ear for people and and could figure. And everybody spoke highly of you, and you and you were delivering sketches. And Lauren knows that. Yeah, and I he was, knows who writes what. Yeah, our names are on them. Yeah, so that was really helpful. Yeah, and but you weren't credited as a writer yet. No, but when you turn in sketches at the table read, everybody your name is on the top. Do you get writer money? No, hmm. it's weird. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I was very I was very upset for it. I was very upset about that in the years that I was uh, uncredited as a writer. Yeah, because I like being a writer. Like yeah. I'm one. Of, like Lauren always makes fun of me that I was the only cast member who was so happy to get a writer's credit. Like you know, he was <laughs> really? like usually people angle the other way. Yeah, but I really wanted that. Well, you knew the uh, you you uh, you. This is this is a great uh, personal journey where you realized your own limitations. That you realized that you know that your talent was what it was, and you could use it within your reason. But writing was your strong suit. And and that if anything, if if the other stuff went, you could be a writer on yeah. some level. Yes, absolutely. That's always, I was thought, okay, this will be. Right. And, and I I'm really love doing it. So, I mean, my favorite moments at SNL, yeah. the moments that I remember, yeah. like, were more often than not me standing on behind the cameras watching people do something, watching like something murder yeah. that I wrote. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You're a good audience, and that's exciting. Yeah, it's Because you're waiting. You're and, waiting. Yeah, just waiting and knowing and that yeah, thing right. of- This is that line. Yeah. <laughs> and also the, you know, as a, my first couple years on the show, you, like I'll watch reruns, and the stage managers had to tell me to stop. I would move my mouth during other people's lines if I wrote it. Oh, really? You like got... I couldn't get out of my writer's brain, so. Yeah, that's a weird habit. Not everybody, it's a unique thing. I would do it at update, too. Oh, and, really? Yeah, like if, Sitting next to somebody? Yeah, which is, and I have no idea, but I would be moving my- mouth along when you're who were you you were on with tina no tina left oh that's you were on with amy who were you who was your yeah so it was uh jimmy and tina jimmy yeah. left 
We had SNL audition. Did you write for Jimmy a lot? No, I didn't really. I mean, we wrote a couple things together. Yeah. Uh, we weren't he we weren't there very long. We see each other now. You're in the same building, right? You'd be surprised how little we see each other. Just because you tape at different times. Tape at different times on yeah. different floors. And right. When you're in different floors of a giant sky rise. I was just on his show. Yeah. How'd it go? It was good. Great. I did. It was the first time I'd done his Tonight Show. But uh, but Lauren came down to say hi. Oh, Is really? That crazy. That's really great. It's so crazy. Here's you know here's what's crazy. What. That means Lauren's come and said hi to you more recently than he's come and said hi to me. <laughs> I was just so like, I never, like, I, I, I feel weird that it's so exciting. Yeah. But like, but I didn't, I don't know him. Like my experience with him is one bad meeting and then my interview with him, sure. and that's it. But during that interview, I was able to see him in a completely different way. Yeah. Like, you know, you know, he's a guy that works there. Yeah. He just works there. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah. I do still... You know he doesn't stop by that much, right. which is fine. I we to the new show, yeah. But when he does, it is always really nice. Yeah, he just does that thing of like everything good. Yeah, okay, good. Do you get the sense that he's paying attention? Yeah, I don't know how much he's paying attention, but right. I think he he's been very good over the course of almost uh, well, I guess a year and a half. I hope that's right. But he uh, of just letting me know how he thinks it's going, or or you know. He he's the kind of guy who makes wants you to make small adjustments and uh huh you know well, well, well let's get to that in a second so so now you're like you, you've been offered the head writer thing and you're yeah. the head writer and uh, and what does that mean for your performing did you find yourself on the show less or more as less. head writer right yeah so now I'm a head writer with who uh so I'm still a little bit of overlap with Tina and then Andrew Steele who uh, who works out here now and does a bunch of stuff with uh, funnier, funnier guy yeah. yeah I knew his wife you you Kiki. Kiki used to, I, I wonder if Kiki still hates me. Kiki used to be a producer <laughs> on my short attention span theater. Gotcha, wow. And and I was a pain in the ass. Yeah. And she just did not, I was. I didn't know how to play the game. I didn't want to be there really. I, I took the job because I was, couldn't, I had nothing else going on. And, you know, in retrospect, I learned how to read prompter. I did a lot, but, sure. but I was not nice to her. And I don't like. I, I imagine like I, I I don't think I make as big an impression as I do. Like in everything, right. time fades everything. Yeah. But I had heard at some point that like I was like the bane of her existence. You have the best memory of your worst behavior. Sure, and and you think you have this impact, but there's a narcissism to that. They're, you're yeah. like, hey man, I really got to apologize for that thing, and they're like, what? Yeah. Hey, have you bounced back from me? <laughs> yeah. Have you recovered? I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So then Tina leaves, and then. I auditioned for to be an update with now Bowler. Did, okay, did Lauren say we we're going to audition? Yeah, did... we had auditions, and also Lauren sort of uh, threw back channels, not back channels. It was pretty specific. But my manager at the time called and said, "Hey, next season, yeah, uh, Lauren thinks you should just be a writer and not a cast member." This is before the update audition. Yeah. And I, that was a decision in my head where I thought, I think if I don't get update, I'm going to leave because I thought it was the one, because again, I had all this awareness that these people are better than me. Yeah. They're better than me. I, I'm jealous of their talents. Yeah. I did think I was the right choice for update. Right. And I kind of thought. Who else was up for it? Um, Gosh, like, uh, I feel like. Everybody. Keenan auditioned, a couple of other writers auditioned. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's just in the audition. You're in the studio at the desk yeah. with Amy, yeah. just doing camera tests, just doing jokes. Yeah, um, I wrote something. I wrote. I used to do the thing with Amy called Really, which I wrote one of those for that. Yeah, to be like, oh, this maybe it'll be like this. And 
so anyways, I basically like went into that audition being like, this is either I'll either get this yeah. or it's the end of it. So that was the biggest thing that ever happened to me at SNL, obviously. And, Getting update. Yeah. And then that also turned me into, I, it just allowed me to be so magnanimous because now all of a sudden as a performer, after years of struggle, you, I'm going to get 15 minutes every week. Yeah. Doing the thing that, the one thing I'm comfortable being, which is myself. Right. And now I can just like re- redouble my efforts to sort of help everybody else with my extra energy. Really? Yeah. So I mean, you stayed on as head writer and yeah. did update. And I think that I, I mean, it was just because of ego and like finally having that moment. No, it's but confidence. It like made, you know, yeah. you, your work had paid off. In that 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 piece of the puzzle was set yeah. for the time being, and and you know, so now you like you know you achieve something. Yeah, and I was so. And it was the first thing, because again, I I don't think I'm alone, but you feel like a fraud a lot of times at SNL. Like, oh, they made a terrible mistake. And and I was all of a sudden like doing something. This is something. how many years into it though? This is like six years six in? Six years in. You feel like a fraud until yeah. you get update? I mean, there were some- I'm really getting away with something. There were some drunken rides home from like after after parties and yeah. taxis where I was just, oh no, this is, this. I've got to have fun at these parties because I don't think I'm, they're going to last. <laughs> I think this is going to be at the end soon. <laughs> and, then it, and then it was great. And that was why I wasn't really thinking of what I was going to do next because I was so happy to do an update every week and being a head writer. And I do think, you know, that cast that I got to write for and that whole writing staff got to write for, I do think that's one of the sort of top three groups of people that have ever been And that was um, who? His hater. So that's Wig, Hater, yeah. Polar, Maya, yeah. Yeah. Sandberg, yeah. Fred Will, um, Keenan. They're all very nice people. It's a good group. But I so your relationship with Lauren was, you know, he must have liked your even keelness and like yeah. you know, and you know, practical listening person. Yeah, and I was the kind of person who was willing to fix problems that Lauren had. Oh yeah. Try, I liked uh Like he'd come to you as a writer and he'd go, I don't think this is working. Yeah. I mean that's really the head writer's main job is sort of, you know, the things that because again, it's that great place where on Tuesday, everybody just goes off and writes their own thing. So yeah. if somebody brings something brilliant, as a head writer, you have nothing to do with that. You're just lucky. Right. And then it's like when Friday rolls around, like what are the cracks? And oftentimes those are cold opens or monologues or, uh-huh. you know, we're an update feature. Celebrity for, monologue? You mean guest star yeah. monologue? Yeah. Those are the those are really tough to crack sometimes. Uh-huh. Because you, you don't know if this person can even deliver jokes sometimes. Oftentimes, by the time it's a problem, you know they can't. You know, it's it's Friday, and now you've seen enough of them to know that they can't. Yeah. And sometimes they're holding on to the idea that they can. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. I, I will, and I know that this has now become sort of an SNL trope that people don't like, but I loved question monologues yeah. where people in the audience would stand up and ask questions because then it's just, you know, yeah. the, you could you take six of them to dress, and if four of the questions work, and right. And there were hosts who who took that as an insult. Oh, really? I just feel like you obviously don't think that I can do a monologue if you have people in the audience asking me a question. Uh It was that. (laughs) But the real question was, why do you you think you can do a monologue? (laughs) You can't ask that question. There's no delicate way to do that. So, So the head writer's job at SNL was to primarily, you know, collate uh, you know the the different all the stuff that comes in. Decide which was great. Figure out which stuff needed work, and then you know after the first read through, listen to Lauren's suggestions. Yeah, well, the best part, I loved it. It's 
I probably am now romanticizing it, but we would do table reads. I'm sorry, rewrite tables on Thursday, yeah. which is uh, the writing staff would sit around a table and you would have the sketches that had already been selected for the show and you would basically rewrite them uh, just adding jokes, making cuts, and it was just sitting in a room with really fucking funny people. Who and was there when you were there? The writers. I mean, uh, James Anderson, Paula Pell, Emily Smivey, uh, John Mulaney, uh, America Sawyer, Simon Rich. Um, wow. Uh, Colin Jost, who's doing Update Now, Rob Klein, Eric Kenward, uh, Liz Kikowski. I mean, there were tons of people. Yeah. And uh, I mean, again, I was there for so long that right. anytime I list names, I know I'm leaving out right. tons and tons of people. You, yeah. So you were there for, how did it end for you there? How was the, the new job? How do you go from head writer, update? I don't remember what happened because I don't keep up with the show that much. Yeah. But um, but like, what, what was the evolution to where you are now? That basically NBC made the move to put Jimmy in The Tonight Show. And so there was an opening. I really hadn't been thinking about it. There was an article in the New York Post that said that I was a front runner for it. I just assumed it was a rumor. It was a leak. It was a leak. Yeah. But I talked to Lauren, and there's this weird thing sometimes when you talk to Lauren that you have a phone conversation with him, and it's as if he thinks you had a, a, a phone conversation beforehand, and this is the follow-up call. Yeah. <laughs> so he's having a follow-up call to a call that never happened. <laughs> right. Because I was saying, oh, I made some joke about this thing being in the post, and Lauren's reaction was, "No, Ian, look, I think you'll be good at it." And uh, and it was that same thing, that's, much like here it was, whatever. That's how you were told is basically what he's saying. Is that like no one ever gets the straight shit from him? No, but you find out some weird other way, yeah. and he just says, "Oh, good, he knows." It's now. like we're you know we're gonna want to try some ties on you, <laughs> and then you know we'll do the tie test. No wigs, though. But no, the wigs. You finally can do your own hair. And then that just sort of started this really fast process. And it was near, very near the end of the SNL season. And I, I don't know if this is the right or wrong decision. I was not emotionally prepared. I basically, when I found out about Late Night, I had only one more show left. Yeah. And I asked Lauren if I could come back and do the first half of the next season, which I did. Um, what that meant. update. Uh, yeah, update and head writer. I did yeah. it, uh, but then I did it with Cecily Strong for half a year, so yeah. that they would help. That would help transition after I right. left. But uh, and but that only meant uh, basically while I was doing, I was head writing, I was update. I also had offices downstairs for late night. We were hiring staff there. It was probably a time in my life where I was doing too much. Yeah, and because I only had three weeks between my last SNL and my first late night. And what now the decision to for Fred to do the music direction that was just sort of goofy or like you know he wanted we to again going back to like my I like music but I don't have an understanding of it and I certainly had no understanding of what I wanted the music element of this show to be mm-hmm. uh, I certainly knew we weren't gonna be able to provide like sort of the musical expression that like the Roots have right. on the Tonight Show we sure. weren't gonna so we couldn't have a band that wanted to do a million things because right. that was outside of my skill set. And so we'd gone down a couple of roads and we didn't really know maybe we wouldn't have a band at all. And then Lauren had the idea of Fred very much uh, with like two weeks to go. And uh, I jumped at it. It was just for me so nice as a comfort level to have Fred there. And, uh-huh. and he put the band together and ba- Fred and I have similar music sensibilities. So right. I really like the way our band sounds. And you have a lot of guest players coming. in Yeah, and so Fred now, I mean, the reality is with Fred's, and we always knew this too with Fred's schedule and, and all the things uh, projects he has you know Fred will probably be there about 10 weeks a year but it's his band and we have guest drummers every week and it's mm-hmm. really fun what what were some of the other decisions about the show when you were had this short amount of time to revamp it a little bit but it is what it is yeah so what tonally what were you thinking well it was funny how you make all these decisions that are out like 
we're going to do it differently mm-hmm. and how quickly those don't work because there is audiences do they want know, they want the desk they do they really do and yeah we had this because if you it, don't have the desk they're like what are we doing yeah what's happening we want it it's a it's again i know these shows are are consumed a lot of different times of the day now but the yeah. people who are watching when it happen it's like it's a settled time of the night yeah no it's definitely not like hey <laughs> yeah yeah um but one thing was we built something that looked more like a weekend update desk and the idea would be that after the in the second act of the show yeah we'd roll this out and I would do something very much like those update features like me and a Stefan type character for whatever lack of a better Was that a comfort zone thing or just because you thought thought, that's how you were known? We thought it would be different Mm. and then as soon as we did it we realized it was a a dud. Right. And we had like spent a lot of money to build a desk that I think we used once. Yeah. You know we had a big TV screen like a hundred inch TV screen that we were going to use as a green screen and then was just like no nah, i don't uh, they know. repurposed it over there oh yeah we they took it back right yeah, away yeah. yeah and so we did all these uh we sort of did all these things uh that we thought would make them different we kind of got rid of them and then we had sort of a fairly conventional structure i will say from the beginning people would suggest that maybe i start at the desk instead of starting with a, a monologue a monologue yeah and it took me i was resistant to it or hesitant to do it because I thought it would look too much like Update. Right. And would sort of be uh, me saying, yeah, I can only do that one thing. And putting stuff on the screen. Yeah. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, I kind of came to the conclusion of like, oh, it's not bad to be really good at one thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's not, that's kind of like what show business journey, is. Journey of you realizing your limitations. Oh, I really, every day I find a new one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best because I remember seeing you do stand up and then like you don't do that anymore there no I, I don't I mean I don't do a standing monologue anymore no you don't no and it's nice and the other nice thing is you know we follow the Tonight Show yeah. an hour earlier and I'm sure 95% of our audience are people who watch the Tonight Show first uh-huh. so they've just seen a guy do a standing monologue an hour earlier yeah and a lot of bells and whistles on that show uh, well, that's a big show. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I know. It's like there's a lot of things. There's there's pranks. Yeah, there's games. It is a uh, they want to make a big show, and God is, yeah. love them. It's yeah. fantastic to be on right. after a big show, right? Especially if you want to be a little smaller. Mm-hmm. And but, but that's also historically what happens. Yeah, right. And we wanted. We realized. Oh, we can. We should just try to get to our first joke so much faster. And so now we have a very short opening package, probably the shortest of any talk show. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it just opens with me at the desk, and I just start telling jokes. And I do like 15 jokes at the desk with graphics. Mm-hmm. And uh, that allows you to do them a lot faster. Right. And we sort of get like 12 or 15 minutes in that first act that's all day of writing. And hopefully we hold as much of that audience as uh, we can. And who's writing with you? Uh, Alex Bays, who was uh, the head writer at Weekend Update. Yeah. I was the one guy I brought over with me. And uh, we put together a great group of writers. We got guys that were improvisers in Chicago, uh, people who wrote for The Onion, people who were stand-ups. Yeah. And we just kind of, most of them, it was their first job in TV. And how do you how did you take to the, uh, the guest interviews? I dig it. Yeah. I thought it would be the hardest part. And I, when it starts, I feel like my job is over. Those yeah. interviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like listening to people, and I like talking to him it's just not it's i thought it'd be so hard and it's really it, i mean i'm sure every now and then you have one that's a yeah it's uh, like oh i yeah. gotta work the gotta... hardest thing is especially in this era where you know i do a lot of uh, most of the interviews i listen to are things like this that yeah. are so much longer right 
how short seven minutes is. How do you do it? Oh, no, it's crazy. I don't yeah. know how you do it, how you would do that. I mean, I can't do anything in seven minutes. It's you, hard. Because, well, you guys, you don't freewheel, right? You segment produce. We segment produce. I mean, I will say every now and then, Yeah. you know, you'll have somebody who doesn't want to do a pre-interview. Yeah. And I like that. I no, li- it's, it's I exciting. like going in that way. Well, Jimmy was doing that a bit when he did that spot where I remember yeah. doing the late night with him mm-hmm. and it was one of the first times like because uh kimmel did it too uh you know with his show where it was just sort of it's like you know you can talk about the thing you're right yeah and like i was so used to conan where you know you what stories you got what do you got what do we what's he how's he uh-huh. gonna lead you but the idea of just sort of like just go out there he'll, he'll, he'll take care of it and i'm like all right yeah and it's really kind of exciting because for me it was sort of unheard of after you know two decades of doing produced yeah. segments mm-hmm. but it is kind of interesting if the person can handle it it is i mean the, the risk is we try really hard not to edit our interviews right so you know there is this thing if we could talk i'm sure i could talk to anybody for 15 minutes right. and have seven great minutes but i do feel like you can tell when a late night interview oh yeah is yeah, edited. yeah. I think and so, so we yeah. try to we try to have that feeling of like this was as live as we could make it five hours before you saw it Right. Well, there's that the idea that you only have seven, and if you just freewheel it, yeah, uh, like it might not have an arc to it. It might just kind of, you know, doesn't feel like you know you're just getting into it. You don't want that to be the end of the interview yeah. where it's like, ah, you didn't even talk about anything. Well, that the fun thing is, I feel like you prepare, yeah. an interview, yeah, and then if you get somebody and you realize they're perfectly happy freewheeling, yeah, then you can just kind of throw the and interview. You, and also, you got a lot of friends in the business, so like yeah. there are guys you have relationships with, and that always makes it easier and fun, right? It does, yeah. The interesting thing though is, some people really do want to have their eight beats. Oh yeah, no, you know? yeah, I, and so well, they're selling something, of course, or yeah. they just like to. Get Kill. laughs, yeah, yeah. You know, they're, they they yeah. don't want to risk. Yeah, yeah. I got good bits. Let's, yeah, let's do them. And it's funny. I mean, there's a. I'm doing these shows. You realize there are 200 different kinds of talk show guests, and yeah. the longer you do them, the show, the more you can like clock them quickly. Yeah, because some people just come out and they don't look at you once. They yeah. just like play out. Right, and they've just they're here for the people, and that's great too. Oh, I never thought of that. I do that a lot, but that's a good way to do it. Well, I mean, I do, but I'll check in. Like as soon as the joke yeah. doesn't go as good, I'm like, <laughs> "So Conan, what's up? <laughs> Where were you? <laughs> it's your job to save me. That's your job. You're supposed to fill in oh, here. Fantastic. <laughs> were you? Just, uh, do you ever have that sense where you're watching somebody and the joke doesn't go, and you realize like I gotta pull this back around? Yeah. Them. I well the worst is when I can't then come up with something to save it and yeah. so I do the awful like gear shift of yeah. now I want to talk to you about <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't come you wanted something yeah it just I also try not to look at uh, cards yeah. during the interview oh, so, on the desk yeah yeah, yeah and yeah, yeah. so there are um, and every now and then I I like while asking the question we'll sort of forget what I'm asking oh. and it's just that like. You know, yeah. like a kid giving an oral report who's trying to run out the clock. Right, right. And, you know, and this is something that in the times that I've been, and then you'll remember, and then you realize that what you're setting up isn't the question. And right. then uh, your work is, oh, you just you just went to Italy. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah that was all it. horseshit. Everything yeah. I was saying was horseshit. Oh, that's funny. So every night, huh? Yeah. Where do you live? I live in uh, Manhattan. I live in, in oh, the you West do? Village, yeah. Oh, I thought you got it. Did you get another place? No. Oh, he's just all there? Yeah. Right in the fucking village? Yeah. And you got a baby now? Yeah. How old's the baby? Seven weeks today. Holy shit. Yeah. So what are you doing in LA? Uh, just out for a day. For this? Uh, for this. And uh, <laughs> I did a panel for uh, 
this show documentary now, the one I do on. Uh, oh, that's IFC. right. Well, that show is uh, it, that's fun. How did like what? Because you do you write on that? Are yeah. you part of the conceptual yeah. part of it? So it's you and Fred and Bill and uh, the two directors, Alex Buono. Is that and the Thomas. guy from uh, Portlandia? Are those those guys? No. They were as they did a lot of the they do SNL short films, commercial uh-huh. parodies and stuff like that. Uh-huh. And really good at like grasping uh, genre and style. Um, uh, Mulaney's writing on it as well. Oh, is he? Yeah. So that you, so once you decide the period you're working with and the tone of it, you just kind of like, stay within it. Yeah, we just try to pick things that we feel like would both be fun characters for Bill and Fred to play and also yeah. fun styles for the directors to mess around with. Yeah, and how many, you've done eight? We did six the first season, we're doing another six now. But, uh, all right, so let's talk about this Albuquerque connection. You spend time in my hometown now. Yeah, I do. Like, a lot, because your in-laws are there? Is that the yeah. deal? Yeah, I, I married a girl from uh, from Albuquerque. Who's younger than, much younger than me, but yeah. you say her family kind of knows who my Well, my dad's still there. Yeah, well, yeah. they're... Uh, uh, Jews. Jews. I married Jews. Yeah. And uh, again, how does that feel? Familiar? Good? Not? It, it was like a completion of this cycle of I'm not actually, like years yeah, of yeah. telling people yeah. I'm not Jewish and then just basically like giving And then it. your in laws saying, like, just keep that to yourself. You're Jewish now. Yeah. I did a show actually, for, like a fundraiser in Albuquerque for uh, for some Jewish uh, federation there. And I was like, oh, this is full cur- This is full circle. You did it. Yeah. You've, done, you've paid your respects. I paid my respects. So what, what, what part of town do you go to when you're They're there? They're Placidas. Oh God, that's yeah. fucking crazy! Because like when I was a kid, Placidas was like this weird yeah. beat up hippie community. Well, they're like they're weird hippies. Oh, okay, so they've been there a while. Yeah, they're uh, they're they went out a long time ago. Oh, they're original Placidas settlers. Yeah, they, I think they are. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, so they would have like maybe known of my dad, but I bet you they know. Like um, there was like my buddy Devin Jackson, his old man was a doctor, kind of the hippie doctor at the college, and I think they lived in Placidas for a couple of years. Gotcha. Dr. Dennis Jackson. All right, I'll check. I'm throwing him some love, <laughs> even though my buddy Devin doesn't talk to him much anymore. <laughs> but um, so when you go to Albuquerque, that's still a little out. Do you go into the city? Do you eat at Frontier? Do you do I've thing? eaten at Frontier, yeah. It's we worth it, We go to right? the range. That's the one we go to up in Placidas all the time. I don't know and, that one. Yeah. Like, is Placidas developed now? Yeah, but you still have to, like, drive to... Uh, I mean, if you really want to go out for dinner, you're probably going to Albuquerque. Or Santa Fe. Yeah. But Santa Fe is like 40 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, and then we also, I was also out there because I, uh, they shot MacGruber, Will Forte's movie MacGruber in Albuquerque. So I right. spent a summer out there for that. A lot of shooting there now. Yeah. Where'd you meet the Albuquerque girl? Uh, I met the Albuquerque girl at Chris Catan's wedding. So her older sister worked at SNL in the set department. Uh, my wife's a lawyer. She's not in show business at all. Yeah. But uh, I went to Chris Catan's wedding, and I knew her older sister very, like, not well. Yeah. Pretty well. But uh, and there was this uh, this girl Alexi there, and over we like were a wedding hookup that then turned into a, a wife and a baby. I re- I saw Chris Catan on a plane recently. Yeah. Yeah, but that uh, and I, I should get in touch with him. You guys friends still? Yeah. Chris Catan came to our wedding because again we met at his wedding. Yeah. And Chris Catan. It was the greatest gift at a wedding because he got up at the rehearsal dinner to give a toast and it was just so obvious that the toast would be how we met at his wedding. Yeah. And instead he told a story about when I first started at SNL, he and I went out with two girls uh-huh. and the girl I was with had a herpy and so, and again, I this is not my memory of the story. Yeah. Like, so instead Seth just grabbed her boobs yeah. and it was just one of those things that the Everybody knew we met at the wedding. Yeah, at his wedding, and it, <laughs> he wouldn't do it. It was, and I just got. I mean, I, I don't even think he knew. And I walk, got up and I took the mic and I was like, "Thank you so much, Chris." 
because Chris said, I want to tell the story about how you met at my wedding. And I said, no, no, no. Chris. So, and it, be- I mean, we like later the next day in my wedding vows, I brought it up again. It was just the gift that kept giving. And, you know, Katana's with guys just walking around at the wedding going like, what? I, what did I do? <laughs> do you keep in touch with like a lot of the people though? Like from the years of yeah, SNL? Like I, I like knowing that, that some of you are still friends. Like who are your friends? Uh, well, I'm really close with Andy. And Polar, and obviously Fred and Bill, I see a lot. Sudeikis, I run into. Forte. I mean, these are all people. But like, Andy's like a buddy. Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah, Andy's really. Uh, I just interviewed uh, his wife a couple weeks ago. She's a genius. Genius. I agree with you. Like and a savant of some kind. He is. Uh, it's really funny, too, that someone sh- that makes that sort of beautiful lyric music, yeah. like married our greatest purveyor of dick songs yeah yeah. (laughs) well it's just so funny i went to see her in concert and he was up in the booth and i just saw him just sort of like in awe yeah of like you know he genuinely is in awe of his wife it's so great it's pretty amazing (laughs) um yeah but i'm I'm friends with those guys you know one of the things that's so so heartbreaking is i kind of thought when i was at snl i daydreamed that we would all just like live in new york forever yeah and the reality is there's just not that many jobs out there and so everybody came out here yeah uh, yeah i don't see him as much as i want to but you know, you you got New York, and I guess it's I fun if you have if you got the bread to live there. It's a nice place to live. The bread helps. Yeah. Bread well, helps. thanks for talking to me, Seth. Of course. How'd this go for, as an interviewer? I thought it was fantastic. It's nice to be on this side a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Good. Well, it was a good talk. Thanks, man. Thank you. Okay, that was nice. Me and Seth Myers, nice fella, funny guy. Knows himself. How do you like that? Oh, pow. I just shit my pants with some cold press. Just coffee.coop. Yeah, I just did that. Up at the end. I'm not a professional.